welcome Scott Kissel. All right, man. High five. Good try, Pastor Steve. <laughs> you got some growing to do. I'll tell you what, where do they find these pictures? Oh, my word, I'm glad they didn't zoom in on those teeth because there's a retainer that goes right across those teeth as a 16-year-old. And I can't believe I'm going to admit this either, but that tie is a zipper tie. If you've never known what a zipper tie is, well, I had to have a lot of pre-tied zipper ties because I could never get it the right length. It was always too short, always too long. Well, my family found a selection of zipper ties. There's a button right in the back of the knot. You just zip it up, zip it down. All the things that you need to do, you're good. You just hang them in your closet. I was hoping to find one out of one of my memory boxes to bring this weekend, but I, I couldn't do it. So, 16 years old, I was a babe magnet. Can you tell? Well, come on, I know my wife would rather have a more athletic picture rather than that, because that's not why she married me. There we go. Okay, short basketball shorts. Enough said. Get that picture off the screen. We don't, we don't need that up there at all, so that's my athletic picture. Well, enough said and enough embarrassing uh, pictures on the screen of me. I am excited to be here this weekend for the first time to be able to kick off a series called Little Big Books, and it's on the book of Jonah. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to give you a brief snapshot of who I am, where I came from, how I landed at Timberline, and why ultimately I'm on the stage uh, this weekend. I uh, just wanted to be able to share that with you so you can get to know me a little bit um, before I start talking about Jonah. I'm married to my wife, Chris. We've been married 20 years. It'll actually be 21 uh, this July. And uh, we met at CCU, which is Colorado Christian University down in Lakewood. Uh, we met there as freshmen and got married right out of college. I went to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and uh, my wife graciously left her dream job of an event planner at CCU to follow me up to Fort Collins and uh, watch me pursue my dream job of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's what got me into this, uh, this community. But also, as you can tell, oh, I have three kids on Father's Day. i got to mention my kids. So, Reagan is my oldest daughter. She is 16, just got her driver's license a couple weeks ago. So, prayers are needed very much so. She's on the youth backpacking uh, camping trip right now. Uh, Whitney is 14, and Tennyson, my son, is 10 years old. And I love my family. I love being a dad. I love being married and uh, going on all the family adventures, you know, that we have. Well, you could tell earlier I love sports, I love basketball, I love golf, I love anything outdoors, really, and so enjoy spending my time that way. We started attending Timberline Church in 1995 as a family before we had kids over at Stewart and LeMay, and I was in that building, fell in love with the church as a young married couple, and here we are 19 years later, and uh, seven years of which I've been on staff at Timberline, so it's a privilege to serve at the church that I've watched my family grow up in. But there's something that's very interesting. I find it very unique and interesting that I landed at such a large church. So I want to tell you why. As I was born in Thousand Oaks, California, but my family wanted to escape the city life, and so they moved us to a town called South Fork, Colorado. It's down by Durango and Pagosa Springs. Population 300. No streetlights, no chain restaurants, no way to get lost. It was just one of those things. To put it into perspective, in our main auditorium, that's the first 11 rows. South Fork would fit in. In our South Auditorium, for those of you watching there, it's the first nine rows in your auditorium. So for the rest of the weekend, I'm just going to talk to South Fork, Colorado, and just picture that South Fork is in the auditoriums here today. Uh, that will help me a lot. But there's lots of advantages to living in a small town. One is, is you know everybody, and everybody knows you. Some people think that's a good thing. Some people think that's a bad thing. But the sense of family community is incredibly strong. But also, if you had an accomplishment... Everybody knew it, and everybody celebrated it. 
For instance, my brother in 1983 was a graduating senior, class of one. <laughs> Crazy thing was, you'd show up for the graduation ceremony and there was not an empty seat in the whole church auditorium to watch him get up, walk across the stage, and uh, get his diploma. It's pretty unique. Nice thing for him was is he didn't have to worry about his grade point average because he was still valedictorian. <laughs> it's crazy. He also just had his 30-year class reunion. That was pretty easy to pull off as well. <laughs> That's the advantages of being in a small town. Well, I mentioned our family business that we had to get out of the city life, and uh, we moved to that town just to break away. And one of the things that we loved is that you could trust people pretty much instantly in a small town. And one of the ladies that would come into our grocery store each and every week on Sunday during the summer, her name was Edie. And you began to trust her just right away. That edge of that picture is worn off because I keep it in my wallet. And because she's a special lady that changed the course of my life as a five-year-old up until I was eight years old. She would come into our family business and do her grocery shopping and start talking to my parents about, Hey, can I take your son to church? Each and every week. Well, finally they caved and they let her take me to church. So she'd take me to church every Sunday in the summer. And then she'd come back, do her grocery shopping, and go home and say, she'd say, see you next week. Well, little did I know that her stories of Jesus and then taking me to vacation Bible school for a week would ultimately change the course of my life. Because when I was eight years old, I gave my life to the Lord and became a Christian. And it's because a senior citizen adult lady named Edie Boatwright invested in a five-year-old up until he was eight years old life in a grocery store in a small town in Colorado. Well, she was obedient to reach out to me, and so our story this weekend is also on obedience and the story of Jonah. But I want to just tell you, why did we call the series Little Big Books? Well, we all know if you're a reader that sometimes there's huge novels. How many of you love to read huge novels and just escape in it, obviously? And so I'm one of those small book kind of guys. So I brought some of my smallest books down here today, and so some of the smallest books that have the greatest impact are like Charles Swindoll's book, Intimacy with the Almighty, uh, this is one of my favorites, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. The title is just kind of cool in itself, but that's a small book. Well, it's just interesting because I used to listen to a lot of books on tape, and my wife would always give me a hard time because I'd get home and I'd say, hey, I read a good book today. She goes, no, you didn't. You listened to a book today. And I said, well, no, I read it. I got every word in and asked me a question about the book, and I'll tell you. She's like, you didn't read it. You listened to it. Anyway. anyway, well, the small book of Jonah is in the Bible. It's kind of in the middle to the right a little bit. And it is so small that I don't even have to turn the page. It falls open right in front of me. It's on two pages here, and so that's what we're going to study today. So let's take a look at it. The words are going to be on the screen as well as we read Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up, went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Can I just stop there? I hate it when there's words in the Bible that are like tongue twisters, Tarshish. I mean, it just makes you kind of slaughter it each and every time. So when I studied Jonah, I just came up with the word Tarshish. What was Jonah thinking? And so I just kind of, kind of called that myself. It'll get better, I promise. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God, maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. 
Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed harder to get to the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. Well, some questions for us in both of our auditoriums, you know, here today. How many of you grew up being familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale? Just a show of hands in both auditoriums. It's exactly what I figured. How many of you grew up with Jonah and the whale being taught on a nice flannel gram or with puppets? Yeah, exactly. I can still remember those stories, too. Well, now all fish stories need clarification, in my opinion, because anytime if you're a fisherman, you know, you always hear about the fish they caught. might be a six-inch rainbow trout, but what do we say? It was this big, right? It just gets to be exaggerated. Well, I'm not going to camp on that a whole lot here today as far as Jonah and the big fish, which is considered to be a whale. But I just want to be able to point out a couple of things. Because whether you grew up knowing that this story was fact or fiction, I want to point out a couple of things. Science has actually proven that a sperm whale can swallow something up to the size of a 15-foot shark. Easy. Piece of cake, right? Well, the second thing is, is in the New Testament in Matthew, Jesus actually references Jonah and his story. And this is what it says in Matthew. Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So if this story was a myth, I'm just curious, why would Jesus reference it? And why would he not only reference it, but why would he tie it into his own death, burial, and resurrection as far as the three days and three nights? So for the sake of today's message, I want us just to take this as fact. And if you just can't in this story, then just accept it as a, a myth with a message. Because there is an important message in this little book in the Bible that I don't want us to miss this weekend. If Jonah the prophet, his picture was on the screen this weekend, and he walked up on stage, I'm just curious, what would he want us to learn from his story this weekend. Take your bulletins. If you're a note taker on the back side, there's some outline on there and we'll just go through that. The first point is listen and obey the first time. I need to address something right off the get-go here when it comes to obedience. And I think Charles Stanley, the founder of In Touch Ministries, says it best. He says this, the bottom line in the Christian life is obedience and most people don't even like the word. Isn't that true? I have wrestled with that word throughout studying this book and this message, and I just was like, okay, I need to kind of dive into it a little bit better. Well, I started thinking about dog obedience classes and how the God is not the kind of God that's going to go, Scott, sit. Scott, stay. Scott, roll over. Scott, fetch. That's not the kind of God and the kind of master that we have as a God of the universe. He's the kind of God that wants us to obey out of relationship, not out of forced you know, obedience. God created us all with free will and free choice. 
So we don't have to do it out of forced obedience. We do it out of our free will and our free choice. Well, let's look at Jonah. What did he do with his free will and his free choice? In verse 3 of 1, it says, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He just went in the opposite direction. He was a prophet. His job as a prophet was to be the mouthpiece of God in the city or the town or wherever God would send him. That was his job. In studying this book, I learned that this was his only mission. So if it was his only mission, that meant that this was his first mission. Which I find it very interesting. It'd be like you walking into your job for the very first day and your boss asks you to go clean out the cooler or stock the shelves and you say, no thank you, I'm not going to do that today. Welcome to unemployment, right? You wouldn't even have a job anymore. And so I just find that interesting. Well, I told you earlier I'm a dad and so on Father's Day it's only fitting that I would tell a story about one of my kids. Whitney, one of my daughters, when she was four years old, she had a stubborn streak. I'm sure nobody else here today has kids with stubborn streaks. Four years old, we just had something that we did as a, as a family that we wanted them to say, okay, daddy, or okay, mon, mommy, if they understood what we were asking them to do. Well, as a four-year-old little girl, you know, she just had a stubborn streak, and so she would say it every once in a while. But one time in particular, I remember sitting across from her, and she leaned forward when I asked her to do something, and she goes, okay, daddy. I'm like, Seriously? I mean, talk about forced obedience right there. You know, she was not going to do anything willingly. And so she gave me permission to share that story today. We had a good time reliving, you know, some of those memories. But Jonah didn't even try to fake obedience. He didn't even try to say anything to the Lord. He just got up and went the opposite direction. Why didn't Jonah obey the first time? Find that interesting. Well, Nineveh was one of those towns that's our current Assyria. And the Assyrians were known for skinning people alive. Not only skinning them alive, but they were also known for keeping those people, their enemies, alive after being skinned. So, man, if I put myself in Jonah's shoes, I'd be like, I am not signing up for that. There is no way I'm going there. Well, saying no to God, it quickly leads to disaster no matter where you are. So how did Jonah's no to God lead to disaster? Let's take a look at that here briefly. Well, Nineveh's wickedness continued because Jonah refused to go where God wanted him to go. Let's take a look at this map. This kind of gives you a little perspective of where everything is in Jonah's time. You can see right here, this big red line here goes from Joppa up to Nineveh. That's 550 miles. Well, does Jonah want to go there? No, he doesn't. So he hops on a boat, and let me just walk you to where it is, okay? Because it's way over here. So it's the blue dotted line on this boat all the way over here, all the way to Tarshish. Or as I've been calling it, Tarshish. What was Jonah thinking? We had to add a third screen to get Tarshish on here just because that's how far it was. 2,500 miles away from where it is. And in that day and age, the commercial trading routes and boats, that literally was as far as you could go by boat from Joppa. I find that very interesting that that's what Jonah chose to do. We all know the phrase as the crow flies when you talk about miles. I've been calling that as the whale swims. Well, disobedience leads to disaster, and you just need to know you cannot seek God's love and run from Him at the same time. It's just an interesting parallel and a contradiction that does not work. Well, missionary Amanda Berry Smith from the 19th century had a quote that I wanted to share this weekend. She was a remarkable and world-renowned African-American woman who went to the south suburbs of Chicago, and she established the first orphanage for African-American children. At the time of her death in 1915, the Chicago Defender called her the greatest woman that this race has given to the world. Here's what she said. 
To stay here and disobey God, I can't afford to take the consequences. I would rather go and obey God than to stay here and know that I disobeyed. Great quote. Well, what was God doing while Jonah ran in disobedience? It brings us to our second point in your outline. Trust that God always knows what is best. I have a parallel story to Jonah that's really similar to his disobedience. I told you earlier that I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Is what brought me here. It was my dream job. I had planned to retire with them. wanted to finish my career with them because I'm an athlete. I love sports and I love God and I wanted to combine all that into one. Well, there was an opportunity that came up. I was an area director here in Fort Collins and an opportunity came up to become the state director in Colorado. It's myself, another co-worker, and then several other people that were applying for the job. I really wanted it really, really bad. Well, as we kind of got going in the process of pursuing that job, these are all the thoughts that started hitting me. Scott, what are you doing? You're an area director. The state's too big. You're not equipped. You don't have what it takes to be a state director. There's other people that are better candidates for you. Just look at them. They're going to be better for the job. You live in the choice city, Fort Collins. Why would you uproot your family and move to Denver? You can't do this. What are you thinking? Those are all the thoughts that were crowding my brain. Well, I knew deep down that God wanted me to pursue the job. So I thought, well, I'm going to wrestle with those thoughts some more. Well, here's what happened. I got the best of myself, and I put God on the shelf. I drove down to that interview with the board of directors, sat in the interview, and I found it very interesting that the first question they asked me was, Scott, how bad do you want the job? I told them, you know what? I'm actually going to pull out of the running. I actually said that at an interview. I'm going to pull out of the running. I don't want this job. Well, shortest interview known to man, pack it up, head back home to Fort Collins and tell my family that I decided not to continue pursuing that job. I knew the minute I sat in my car outside of that boardroom that I had disobeyed what God had wanted me to pursue. didn't mean I was going to get the job. It just meant I was disobedient. I ran out of fear. And I ran because I felt like I knew what was best. And I put God on the shelf and didn't admit that he knew what was best. Now, I didn't get swallowed by a big fish like Jonah did, but I did have some things that happened in my life that God had to grab a hold of me on. So I stepped out of ministry from FCA and I stepped into corporate world and worked for Gibbs Bagels as a general manager and partner. So I was in the food industry and through several years of that, I started getting really frustrated because my intent was is to get into that job and to find a ministry job. I knew God had called me to be in ministry, and I wanted to be in ministry, so I just looked at that job as temporary. I came home one day incredibly frustrated that I just was not in ministry, and I told my wife, Chris, I said, "Hun, what in the world is going on? I want to get into ministry. And she looks at me, and she says, and as only a wife can do, Scott, when are you going to wake up and see that you have ministry around you each and every day that you go to that bagel shop? You have high school students and college students and young adults that don't know a thing about God and you're the only light that they see each and every day that you interact with them. I just was like, man, ouch, first of all. (laughs) Second of all, I'm like, you know what, you're right. My perspective is off. I'm treating this as temporary. So the next day I decided I'm going to go back and start looking at the people around me as a great ministry opportunity no matter where my paycheck comes from. Now, I'm not saying if you're in corporate America that ministry is where everybody needs to strive for. That's not what I'm saying this weekend. So hear my heart when I say that that was just for me. I knew in my heart God wanted me to be in ministry, and I was just waiting for the next opportunity. Well, a couple weeks in, I started saying, okay, God, I've got this figured out. I'm now seeing my coworkers and employees as ministry opportunities to invest in them. And, okay, ministry's going to come around the corner, right? No, it's not. 
I tried to get into an organization here in northern Colorado. I won't mention its name, but I had several dream jobs that were there as well. And I thought, I'm going to get in there. I had an employee there actually highly recommend me to get employed by the company. Six jobs I applied for that I thought I was going to be a fit for. Well, you know how letters work in the job world. I got five of them that said, you know, we're sorry. Your gifts do not fit, you know, the qualifications that we're looking for in this particular job. And we just want to make sure that you know that thank you, but no thank you, you're moving on. I said, okay, well, there's one more job that I'm looking for. Well, I pulled up to the mailbox that day. I got into the mailbox. I saw the company logo was on there, and I thought, oh, man, this is it. I feel it. God, you would not decline me six times at the same company, right? Well, I took the letter, sitting in my car by myself. Nobody was with me. Opened it up. I was looking for those words that we'd like to pursue an interview for you. You can guess what it said, right? Dear Scott, we'd like to inform you that your gifts and abilities do not match the skill set for the job that you were looking for. We will keep your resume on file for the next year in case anything opens up. I didn't even read the rest of the letter. I just threw it down. I'm like, God, what is going on? What do I need to do? What do I need to figure out to be able to get into ministry? I feel like that's what you want me to do with my life. And it was like almost instantly I felt this overwhelming presence that said, Scott Kissel cannot always get what Scott Kissel wants. When are you going to figure out it's not about you and it's about me? It tore me up. I got stayed in the car. I drove around for a while, tears streaming down my face, working through my anger and frustration and saying to God, okay, I admit that you know best, Lord. I will work at Gibbs Bagels or wherever you want me to for however long you want. It was at that moment that I felt like that I was starting to get it. Well, even in my disobedience, this is something to remember, is that God never stopped pursuing me. God of second chances, He never stopped pursuing me. Well, let's look back again at my friend Jonah, because obviously I can relate a little too well to him, and so I think some of us here can as well. As Jonah fled, here's exactly what happened. This is the snapshot. God caused a huge storm on the sea to break up the ship. They were nervous that they were going to just crash and burn. Sailors were calling out to their gods, little g to help with the sea and the storm. It didn't happen. So they went and found Jonah sound asleep down in the hold of the ship. Woke him up and they wanted him to call on his God, Big G. Well, I find it interesting that in the midst of the storm that was caused by Jonah, that he'd be down in the hold of the ship sleeping. I don't know about you, but if I was running from God, I don't think I'd be sleeping. I think I'd be looking over my shoulder each and every time going, am I getting away with this? How close am I to Tarshish? Am I getting away with it? What's going on? Well, Not Jonah. I believe that when he decided to disobey God, that he officially made a severe disconnect from reality. He didn't even realize that his disobedience was causing pain around him. Well, somewhere in this dialogue, they did a thing called casting lots, which is basically like throwing the dice. You throw the dice, and it was a certain thing that would come up, and then all of a sudden it would point the the finger to Jonah. They cast lots and said, hey, who's the culprit here? And guess what? Guess who came up? It was Jonah. I don't know how many times they did it. It doesn't say in the Bible, but if it would have been five, six times, I guarantee you that God would have had it come up every time with a finger pointing at Jonah. That's just how God is. Well, here's the crazy part. When Jonah realizes that he's caught, he knows that he's running from God. The sailors now know that he's running from God. This is his response. He tells them, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Again, if I was running from God, why would I reference the God I'm running from? He's just messing with fire. Well, he was either incredibly cocky, bold, stupid, arrogant, or he started to realize that God was pursuing him even in his disobedience. 
The sailors reached a panic moment, tried to figure out what they wanted to do in order to survive the tragedy that they were in the middle of. Jonah had told them to throw him overboard, but they didn't want to do it. What did they do? They rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Isn't that true what happens when we're in the middle of disobedience? We work harder. We try it harder. We try new things. We don't come to the end of our rope and say, God, you know, we need your help. They were fearful of what would happen to them if they threw Jonah into the sea. What would his God do if they did that? Where's my question that I had to dwell on for a while? Why wouldn't God just let Jonah run? What's the big deal? He's God. He has other people in mind that can go share the news at Nineveh. Why did he care so much? Well, here's why he cared. Because God knows best, as we just talked about. But he also cares so deeply for his people that he will go through any lengths to accomplish his purposes and his will. He cared for Jonah, but he also ultimately cared for Nineveh more. So much so that in chapter 1, he told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Chapter 3, after Jonah got spit up on shore out of the belly of the whale when he came to his senses, God told Jonah again, go to Nineveh. Well, he did, and eventually Nineveh turned the corner and gave, they just followed God. But he says in the end of chapter 4, which we're going to study a little bit more next week for a chapter two to, or a chapter 4 to dive into, uh, this is what he says in uh, chapter 4. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God wanted to remind us of how much He cares, you know, for His people. He wouldn't let one man's disobedience change His ultimate plan for Nineveh. Jonah's story began with a tragedy, but a greater tragedy, I think, would have happened if he would have continued to run. God wanted to intervene, get him off that boat, and get him to Nineveh, where he was supposed to go. So it's not on your outline, but just jot this down under point number two. Write down, God knows best. I don't. Short phrase that might be helpful for all of us this week. Well, if God knows best and we listen and obey the first time, guess what's going to happen? Brings us to our third point, where obedience is contagious. It's contagious. We've all heard the phrase, as get the ball rolling. It's the same thing with obedience. If we take any step of obedience, that gets the ball rolling to more steps of obedience. It's important to know that. I didn't say small steps or big steps. I said any step. Because that's truly how I think God views obedience. Here's how this plays out. If we take the phrase, contagious obedience to heart. Get my rejection letter out of the way here. If we take that to heart, here's what's going to happen. God can do some amazing things. Just to give you a couple of examples. If you're a young person in either of our auditoriums this weekend, maybe you're in a friendship circle that you know deep in your heart that you're making some choices with them that are not the best. Contagious obedience would say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get out of that friendship circle. I'm going to make some different choices. Or maybe you're a dad here. We honored you for Father's Day. And maybe you have some issues in that realm, parenting your kids. Contagious obedience for you would be, you know what? I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to seek the Lord and ask how I can do parenting differently. How can I be a father differently? Or maybe you're part of a company that you know there's some things going on that you feel like you need to bring to the front and center to call somebody on the carpet with with financial dealings or something unethical. Contagious obedience would be, okay, I'm going to take a step. It might cost me my job, but I'm going to step out and trust God with the consequences of obedience. Because Charles Stanley also said, when you obey, you have to leave the consequences up to God. But that's so true. We don't know what's going to happen after our step of obedience. We just have to obey. Well, the great city of Nineveh turned to God after Jonah finally came to his senses. The sailors came to know God because Jonah finally came to his senses. And so I'm thankful for his act of obedience finally after God got a hold of him. 
But our ultimate example of obedience is really Jesus Christ, who in Scripture in Philippians it says this, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore God elevated Him to the place of highest honor and gave Him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what did Jesus do? He did everything we just talked about in our outline. Jesus listened and obeyed the first time. Why? Well, because Jesus recognized that His Heavenly Father, which was His Father, knew what was best. Well, He also knew that His, contagious, his obedience would be contagious. How did He know that? Because He just trusted that His Heavenly Father knew what was best. And it changed the course of history. Talk about obedience. Talk about it being contagious. It changed the course of history. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of contagious obedience. I just challenged me in studying for this message that I want to be one of those guys that's like, okay, Lord, yes, I'm going to listen the first time. I'm going to say and trust that you know best, and I'm going to be an obedient Christian to you contagiously. Well, man, you probably noticed in your outline that there's a for men only part on your outline, and I know you're like, oh, great. He's going to zero in on the men this weekend on Father's Day. Well, I'm not here to hammer anybody in here as a man because I'm just like you. But what I am in here to do is to challenge us as men to live as contagious, obedient men of God and to really leave the consequences and the results up to Him because we have lots of things that we can do as men. We are considered to be leaders not only in our workforce, but in our families, in our marriages, in our friendship circles. It is a big, big deal to be a man. God puts a mantle of leadership on us, and He expects us to lead. You heard earlier in the service about some opportunities to get involved, and you were asked to fill out a connection card, men, and just request some information and to go to that Monday night fellowship on Monday night, June 30th. Pastor Dick Foth is kicking it off. I'm going to be there, so I look forward to seeing you there, and I just look forward to being in the journey, you know, with you. So here's what I'd like to do is that Dwayne Patchett was our men's director. He passed away last fall after a battle with cancer. He was my friend. He was my co-worker. He was my co-laborer in ministry. But he was also a man that lived out contagious obedience. At his age, he finished his life strong. He cared for the men of Timberline Church and our community so much so that in his last days and hours of life, he was still trying to do men's ministry. He would be proud this weekend to know that we're continuing to try to move the ministry forward for us men to be able to get involved and to kick off a Monday night weekly meeting where we can be together. Because uh, Pastor Steve was right. We don't do church well, men. We're pretty stubborn. We're pretty isolated. We're pretty uh, you know, cocky, arrogant at times. But you know what? Let's just lay the facade down and say, let's, let's get involved. Let's get plugged in. So what I want to do, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward, but I do want to pray for the men of our church in both auditoriums. So if you're a man at any age, please stand up to your feet. I would like to pray for you this weekend. Just go ahead and rise to your feet, and I want to pray for you. It's a great thing to see all the men here. And I'll tell you what, I get worked up when I see men's faces, when I picture what God can and will do through individuals that will step out in faith and say, I will obey the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for the men in our auditoriums here today, God. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for the story that you have written in their life. Some are years down the road in their relationship with you, and they're doing well. Others, Lord, in our auditoriums are just starting their journey with you, and they don't even know what it looks like as they stand to their feet. God, I pray that you would just be alive and well in front of them each and every day. 
Heavenly Father, we are thankful for men. We are thankful for the investment that you care about to put into us to make a difference for you. God, I pray for all of these men that as they walk out of this place here this weekend that you would pursue them even if it is in our disobedience. God, may we come to realize that it's about you and it's not about us. God, do something in the men of our church and our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, men. You may be seated. I appreciate that. Well, Duane has an interesting perspective in heaven now. And I think it's interesting that he'd be looking down and uh, seeing it from his point of view. And he spent his last days praying for us. And so, men, I want to continue to do that as we move men's ministry forward. Pastor Dick Foth, one of my mentors, I'm surrounded by a lot of them here working at Timberline, obviously. He said this in one of his prayers that has stuck with me ever since. He said, Lord, we stand on tiptoe in anticipation to see what you are going to do. Well, man, I do stand in anticipation on tiptoe to see what God's going to do through you as we step forward. Well, some questions that are at the end here as we wrap up. Some uh, reflection questions that I'd like you to write down in your bulletin. You're going to have to write fast, so be ready. All right? The first one is this. What is one area of my life that I know God is asking me to listen and obey Him? What is that one area that God is pressing in on here this weekend? Second question is this. What is it going to take for me to trust that God always knows best? Something might be standing in the way, but what's it going to take for you to realize to trust that God knows best? And the third question is this. Who do I, who do I need to surround myself with? To live in contagious obedience to God. Because we can't do it alone. We have to have people around us. So who do you need to surround yourself with to live in courageous obedience to God? I'd like to be able to pray for us. So if you'll bow your heads with me and close your eyes with no one looking around, I just would like to pray. Heavenly Father, as we stand and sit in these auditoriums here this weekend, we are trusting your Holy Spirit to be on the move to nudge our hearts in areas where you want us to be listening and obeying the first time. Areas where we need to say that you know best and that we don't. And in areas where we know we need to be contagiously obedient to something that you're asking us to do. Well, with heads bowed and nobody looking around, I'd like to just ask, maybe you're in that first category, that you already know that you have an area in your life where you need to step out in obedience and you have an, an action item in your mind right now. If you just quietly slip up your hand, it's just between you and the Lord and me. I would like to pray for you if you have those areas in your life. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those in these auditoriums that have raised their hands to say they want to commit to taking a step of obedience towards you. I'm grateful for that, Lord. I pray that you will give them the courage and the strength to be able to do it. I pray that they'll be able to sense your presence as you guide and direct them in that step. Maybe some in this place here today are struggling with the whole I know best versus God knows best. Maybe it's because you don't even know who God is and you walked into one of our auditoriums today and you're trying to figure out how do I know God knows best when I don't even know who God is? Well, maybe this weekend is the time where you need to get to know God. And so I want to be able to pray just a quiet prayer, and you can pray silently along with me, because if that's you, this weekend could be your weekend to give your life to the Lord and allow Him just to be the Lord and Savior of your life like I did when I was eight years old. If you feel like you want to just make a step of faith and step in out obedience today and uh, slip your hand up to say, Scott, I don't know who God is, but I want to give Him my life today. Just slip up your hand so I can see it, and I want to be able to pray for you in this auditorium and the other auditorium. 
Just pray this prayer silent with me if you did raise your hand. Heavenly Father, I don't want to be like Jonah and run from you. So I'm saying yes to you this weekend, not fully knowing or understanding what it looks like to live a life with you as a follower of God. But God, I bring my past mistakes, my failures, all my sins. I give them to you, knowing that you're a God of second chances. God, thank you for loving me, pursuing me, and I say yes to you this weekend. Maybe you're in the third category where you are just need to change your, your circle of influence, the people that are around you, some influencers that you have. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you that God would bring a new circle of people around you. I want to pray that you could do that. And if it's not that, maybe you have a Jonah in your life that you need to go to and you need to say, hey, you need to stop running. And you need to just give yourself over to the Lord. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I'd like to pray for those of you in here that want to surround yourself with contagious, obedient Christians. God, you see the hands in our auditoriums here today, and I pray that as you see them, that you would just quicken their hearts and give them strength as they walk out of here to be able to make the steps that they need to make. Help them to know what they need to do. And God, I pray for new and fresh relationships for those that feel like they need somebody new in their life, that they could walk in contagious obedience with you. Lord, for those in our auditoriums that have a Jonah in their life, that they know are running from the Lord. Maybe it's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in a family. God, that you would give these individuals strength to go to them and to say, stop running. Let God pursue you and catch you and fall into his arms. Heavenly Father, we give all of our people to you this weekend. We're thankful for how you can be on the move to nudge us and put your finger on our hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to continue. Love those words, your will, your way. What would it be like as we walked out of our auditoriums today, being able to say that individually to the Lord? It's exciting. And as Pastor Dick Foth does say, that makes you want to stand on your tiptoes in anticipation for what God's going to do if we do that. Prayer team, if you'll come, we have a prayer team each and every weekend that wants to be here to pray for you. Maybe you have an area of obedience that you would like some encouragement in and prayer for. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord for the very first time and you'd like just some information on how to get started on your journey to being a follower of God. If you don't want to see somebody individually, you can grab a packet on either side of the stages in our auditoriums or you can go to guest services as well. But let's send you out of here with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we stand before you to say your will, your way. And we're going to be listening this week to see what you reveal in our lives. God, send us out of here with our eyes focused directly on you. God, be with everyone's Father's Day weekend. Whatever their plans are, whatever they're going to do today, give them strength today as they walk out of here. And let them be contagiously obedient to you. In Jesus' name. And Timberline said, Amen. And as we say each and every week, the service begins now.